calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Welcome to Frau Pow. We're your hosts, Odd and Rags. Today, we're going to talk to Black Eyed Betty, or Kirsten, because her name does come up during the interview. Um, she is 20 years old. She played junior roller derby. She's now playing real roller derby. Actually, it's all real roller derby. She's playing adult roller derby now. Um, and we talked to her today about sensory processing disorder, or SPD and her experiences with it, how she was diagnosed, how she lives with it today, and also eating disorders. Um, so pay attention to the trigger warning. Um, so yeah, I hope you learned something. Um, maybe you'll learn that you have hypochondria if you think everything that you've heard up to this point is on a checklist, but also if you are interested in SPD, maybe we can help point you in some resources in the direction of some resources. There we go. Because um, Black Eyed Betty's going to send us some. Um, so during our interview with Black Eyed Betty, we do talk a lot about eating disorders. Um, so if that's something that you don't want to hear about or something that you're not able to listen to right now, maybe you should skip the interview. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm Kirsten. I skate as Black Eye Betty for Garden State Roller Girls. I started derby when I was 13. I actually started Jersey Junior Roller Derby with my mom. So I've been skating my whole life, basically. Um, I have sensory processing disorder, which I was diagnosed with when I was about seven years old, give or take a few years. And I was only diagnosed because... My mom worked at a school for um, children with multiple disabilities, and the occupational therapist there realized that I was super severely sensory-seeking and avoidant, which is not as common. And from there, I was diagnosed, which was I'm really lucky <laughs> to have gotten at that age because many people I know weren't diagnosed until they were adults because it wasn't talked about at all until the last, like, two years I haven't heard anything about sensory processing disorder mm -hmm. until two or three years ago. 
Yeah. So can you explain what you said about the occupational therapist that you were sensory seeking? So I'm sensory seeking and avoidant in different areas and depending on my mood. So you see a lot of autistic kids are the best example of when I talk about sensory seeking and avoidance. Um, uh, Avoidance is the most common and it's when you see people like wear the headphones or like get really nervous in crowds or flinch at touch or anything within any of their senses are being impact, they avoid it. Sensory seeking is the opposite and you don't feel it as much. So when you see people with weighted blankets, they're typically sensory seeking. Um, I play roller derby because I'm sensory seeking and I like to get hit. Um, When you play your music louder, you're typically craving the sense of your hearing or tactilely when you like rub your hands on something that you like the texture of you're seeking sensory input I have both so it depends on my mood the exact situation and a lot it depends on a lot of things so I can if I like a texture I will like touch it all day I will like stim on it forever which gets an issue if you're in like a store or something and everybody's watching you it's really awkward but if I don't like a texture, I'm like done. I'll shut down completely. Um, I love concerts. I love being in the front of concerts, like right at the stage. But I can't do airports. <laughs> I can't do people in airports, but I can do people in concerts. So it really depends on the exact situation and my mood. I've been to concerts where I was like, never mind. I can't be in the front right now. I even saw one of my poet, my favorite poets, Andrea Gibson, recently, and I had to stand in the back, which uh-huh. is super rare for me. But it was just one of those days where I couldn't do it. And we were in line to meet them at the end. And in line, the guy started yelling at us about, like, where we should stand. And I just left. I couldn't even meet them. So that was me being avoidant. But when I saw my favorite band recently, I was like right up front against the stage, feeling all the vibrations because at that moment I wanted to feel it. So I have both, which is kind of rare, but kind of not as rare at the same time. So how do you tell the difference between that and then um, just like someone who doesn't have a sensory processing disorder because I know the two of us have very particular sensory things um like for example I can't hear someone talk like to the side of me and then also being watching something so like at movies or tv shows if someone's like asking me questions I get dizzy like I can't I just like can't function it's like too much so like how do you tell like between sort of like an idiosyncratic thing for me that's like one part versus like a disorder. So everybody has sensory issues. Yeah, And I can go on. People don't even realize how much sensory affects everybody all the time. Um, The disorder is kind of, it impacts my life. So it's like with anxiety, with the whole everybody gets anxious phrase that I absolutely hate when you're like, oh, I have anxiety. I was like, oh no, everybody has anxiety. It's kind of the same where it, takes an impact on your life where mm-hmm. I can't go places or do certain things because of my sensory issues. I think that's the main key between sensory processing disorder and just issues with a certain sense or mm-hmm. sensory in general. Mm-hmm. So you talked about how it presents in yourself. Um, what's living with it like? Um, as because I was diagnosed at such a young age, I learned 
why I do certain things at such a young age. And I was able to like teach myself how to cope with certain things, but it still affects me. And I need to be aware when I go places, even with work, being a preschool teacher is really hard some days because these kids are loud. Yeah. And on those days, I kind of learned through different um, proprioceptive um, tools and um, tactile tools and different stim toys, how to like cope through the day. And it's helped being able to learn through years of occupational therapy and then self just figuring things out. But living with it has made my anxiety is so much higher because I don't know what I'm doing sometimes. Like before I go to a grocery store, how bright are the lights at this grocery store? I typically have to go to the same places. Um, instead of like a new store, I have to just like keep a routine of things I do. Even like clothes shopping, I know what kind of fabrics I like. I don't mm -hmm. really stray away from that. I can't online shop because I don't know what things are without touching them. Like you, you get an idea from... 85% polyester, 10% cotton. Like, you know an idea, but everything still feels different. Mm -hmm. So it's affected things that I do in that sense. Like, I can't online shop. I can't go to different stores. Going out to eat is hard because the texture of food could be different. But because I've known about it for a good 13 years, I'm kind of able to figure it out. <laughs> So how how was like moving from the shore like and coming to a completely new place? How did you navigate that with your disorder? I was lucky that I knew a lot of people living up in North Jersey when I moved from the shore because my team, I was driving an hour and a half to practice each way for about a year before I ended up moving. So I had... I moved in with a teammate who knew the area and I'm very open about my sensory processing disorder. Everybody knows about it. So she kind of knew what I liked and what I didn't like to help me figure out what stores I can go to. And just other teammates were able to be like, oh, I like this place. You might like it. So that was really helpful. I can't imagine moving where I didn't know people to kind of be like, oh, this is what this is like. And that's what that is like. I need to be warned about something typically before going. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what was the hardest part about moving to a new place? Um, my routine was different. I'm very like, I like routine. I've always been somebody who's like, oh, I get up at this exact time. Like I wake up at 6.57 a.m. the exact time every single day. And I did have to shift a little bit of my day when I moved because my commute's different. Everything I did... I got a new job. The time is different. So everything's slightly different. And I think that was the hardest part about moving. It's just the change of routine more than the sensory aspect, more of just like my anxiety. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, so how um, how is your sensory disorder connected to your other mental health struggles? Um, I think that my sensory disorder had a huge impact on my eating disorder, because because of my sensory issues, I avoided certain foods and textures and stuff, which I think helped lead to my eating disorder because it was easy for me to be like, oh, I don't eat this. I can't eat that. 
Um, and my anxiety has definitely been impacted because I need to know what I'm doing all the time because of my anxiety. But in addition to that, I need to know because I need to know what exactly is going to happen for my sensory needs. So I think that's escalated my anxiety. I think those two are really the only things that's really been impacted, though. Mm -hmm. I feel like those would be comorbid. I definitely agree. So ARFID, which is Avoidant Restricted Feeding Intake Disorder, is a type of eating disorder, even though it's not weight-related. It's considered an eating disorder, and it's very common in autistic kids and kids with sensory processing disorder. And then anxiety, I'm pretty sure, I think everybody with sensory processing disorder has anxiety. I can't imagine anybody not. I can imagine, because you, like you're saying, like, you have to know, um, you know, it's that routine and going to the same places over and over. And so if anything changes, um, you know, like your a daily commute in New Jersey is always different because, you know, it could take 15 minutes or an hour sometimes when you're going to the same place. And I can... I just like that makes me really anxious as someone with already with anxiety. But like on top of that, like knowing how that's going to impact, like how I'm feeling, like in how my body's processing it. Yeah, of course you have anxiety, like makes total sense to me. Yeah, I don't know if there is anybody with sensory processing disorder <laughs> with that anxiety. And if there are, I'd be very interested to hear about that <laughs> and how it affects them. And so what are um, some of the ways that you've learned how to um, cope with your anxiety um, and sensory stuff? You talked about a little bit of some the tactile things and then some other stuff. Yeah. So in high school, I learned or actually before high school, when I was a kid, I had something called a sensory brush. It was a little white rectangle thing with like a little it looked like a little brush and I would rub it on my skin. And that was kind of how I learned to calm down as a kid. And that's a tactile slash proprioceptive type tool. And depending on different which sense needs either seeking or avoidant depends on what I do. But in high school, I used to wear a necklace that was um, it was a food safe necklace. Um, it was made food safe silicone and by a website that makes stim toys for people. And it's from an autistic person and I would like chew on, I'd keep it around my neck and I would chew on that if I like needed um tactile more oral stimulation um I had like a spinner ring that I would like spin um I have noise canceling headphones on me 90% of the time that I just keep with me in case of an emergency I've just I have little toys like mostly stim toys but also um, compressions on my fingers. I've kind of learned to like move the joints on my fingers to a way that's calming. And I could do that on my, my arms or I like to do my fingers, but you could do it on your hands, your arms. So all these little things have helped me kind of cope with all the feelings. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I have a, I went to school with somebody with SPD, but as you know, SPD is such like a wide spectrum of like, there's so many different things that yes. can affect you or not affect you. Um, and I don't actually honestly know the whole range of like what affects her or doesn't affect her, but I do know that she has to wear noise canceling earbuds or like noise muffling. I don't know. They, they dramatically reduce the volume 
of the area. And, you know, whenever we had a fire drill, she would always have to be taken out of the school like 10 minutes early because her ears were so sensitive that she would basically just shut down like once she heard the fire alarm go off in the school. Um, but like I know that she does a lot of work with autistic people and the autism spectrum and like she uh, she actually has a really interesting page called Eating Off Plastic. And she's an artist that like talks about her SBD and like being on this, how she's possibly on the spectrum or X, Y, Z. Um, but that was like my only experience. And I remember talking to her and picking her brain about like my sensory issues because I have chronic migraines. So like my mm -hmm. ears always want to just like blow up because everything is so loud to me. I can't even go to concerts. Like derby games hurt me. I have a migraine after every derby game and I'm thinking about getting those earplugs oh i have ones i got from my ear doctor and they just mold them right to your ear i wear them at concerts i wear them to derby because yeah. i also get migraines <laughs> yeah um but like she was telling me all this stuff and i was just like oh my god there's so many things that i just didn't know so like i think it's really interesting that you can you you can put 20 people in a room with spd and they will all have like different different reactions to different things whereas like if you put 20 people with depression in a room, you can like start to kind of look yeah, at all the symptoms. figure out triggers and stuff, yeah. but everybody is so different. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big thing that I've noticed, even like working with the special needs population. I worked in a group home for a really long time and one of the girls had sensory processing disorder and I had, she didn't really do much for herself at all, but I had to help her with one of her jackets. It was her favorite jacket. It was velvet. And I can't touch velvet, but velvet was her favorite feeling. So that like. Did you have to put like gloves on? I did. I wore gloves every time okay. I put her jacket on because I could not do velvet. Like even thinking about velvet makes my skin crawl. How do you live with. <sighs> my roommate loves velvet. Her bedspread is velvet. She's like trying to slowly get me into it. And like certain, certain days I can like do like the one way of touching velvet but once it goes to the other way i'm like nope we're done it was a good day before we started i'm gonna make a broad general statement that is kind of an observation that could be totally wrong but i feel like with how prevalent anxiety and depression are it's fair to say that other conditions such as spd are starting to become more prevalent just like sensory sensitivity maybe maybe Instead. Or maybe just like our tools to diagnose have gotten that much better. I think that's also Definitely. a very big one. Because like I know a lot of people are like, well, why why is autism, you know, starting to like be like a thing now? And I'm like, well, it was a vaccines. That's why. Vaccines. <laughs> because it's always been a thing. But I think our tools for diagnosing it yeah. are better. It's kind of like ADHD and ADD too. Like, oh, you know, we didn't have that back it's, in the 70s. No, I think our tools have just gotten better it's at just ADHD. Sorry. Yeah, it's ADHD type one and two, but like it's oh, ADD I didn't, I didn't, and ADHD. I didn't know that. Sorry. Okay. Read read your most recent diagnostic manual. Right. Let me go get the DSM 2019. What is that? Version 21? Five. Look at this. They Sensory are, processing they disorder are, isn't even in the DSM. Fun fact. Which I can go off about a lot too. <laughs> this is that's your job to know that. But yeah, yeah I just feel like our tools for diagnosing have got so much 
have gotten so much better. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That I think that we're starting to see more and more people diagnosed with ADHD one or two or SPD or, you know, this or that. And I don't think that necessarily it's more prevalent because of today's society. I think it's just we're, we're able to notice it and and like the spectrum of things it. and not just like the extreme right. versions. I think especially for um, aus- autism spectrum mm-hmm. disorder, like especially um, because like, it doesn't have to be an extreme case. Yeah. Um, it could, it's a, a spectrum. And so yeah. there can be any fall anywhere on that. Yeah. yeah. I definitely agree with the whole diagnosing thing because even when I was getting diagnosed with sensory processing disorder, my doctors, a big thing is doctors don't believe in it, which I can go off on. But my doctor at the time did not believe in sensory processing disorder. So he was like, oh, she has autism. But at the time, my mom was like, no, like my mom worked with kids with autism. And when she was working with it, it wasn't as broad of a spectrum as it is now either. So what she knew for autism was not aligned to what I was like. I can make eye contact and I can do specific things that do not align to typical autism. So that was a big thing of, oh, she does not have autism. But I have these sensory issues and the doctors were like, no, that's there's nothing wrong. Like she has she doesn't have autism, so she has no sensory issues. But now that I'm older, I see doctors all the time being like, oh, no, that's a thing. So I think it's definitely now that it's more the awareness comes with the criteria of diagnosis for Mm -hmm. sure. So you have at least one tattoo. (laughs) I have Um, seven. Seven tattoos. So how does that work with someone with sensory processing disorder? Personally, I love it. So I have a really high pain tolerance because of my sensory processing disorder. I actually broke two vertebrae. Didn't know for one, I didn't know for two months. The other, I didn't know for a year because my pain tolerance is so high because of my sensory issues. So (laughs) my pain tolerance is high because I have nerve damage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So when I'm in pain, like I know there's something wrong. I was in the ER Tuesday because I was in pain and everyone was like, no, it's like not bad. And I'm like, no, trust me, if I'm in pain enough to leave work, Go to the hospital. There's something wrong. So with tattoos, I'm just like, oh. Wait, wait. <laughs> is everything okay from Tuesday? I think so. I'm going to like follow-up appointments. Okay. We're okay. <laughs> That's why I didn't go to work today. I was at a follow-up appointment. Okay. As long as everything's okay, let's now continue this conversation. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. But a big thing is my pain tolerance is so high. So getting tattoos is absolutely nothing. Like I've fallen asleep during two or maybe three of my tattoos. I want that superpower. Because, <laughs> like, I'm just sitting there, and it's just a vibration. It's nothing else to me. Like, I don't feel the pain. So I'm just like, okay. Oh, my God. I wish you could get my back piece for <laughs> me. I fell asleep during my rib piece, my hip fuck? piece, and my ear piece. <laughs> Your rib piece? I thought I was going to shit my pants and throw up at the <laughs> same time. <laughs> my sister and I got our rib piece at the same time, and there's like, her, like, holding on, like, for dear life. Because that was, like, what we did for her 17th birthday is we got ma- we got tattoos together. So she's, like, holding on to the bed, and I fell asleep. <laughs> so that's a big difference in us. What a superpower. <laughs> yeah. I do sometimes. I'm like, my sensory issues are a superpower because I can deal with a lot of things. And, like, I notice a lot more things than other people. Like, I can hear something. If my hearing is good that day, 
I can hear something way far away, which helps with my job. Like if we're on the playground, I can hear a kid get hurt before they mm-hmm. actually fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is helpful. But then other times I can't hear anything. So it is like a superpower in some ways. When <laughs> in my childhood home growing up, um, we had a house alarm. And before the alarm would go off, it would always make this very loud, high pitch, but like quick whoop. And I always knew that it was about to go off and because I could always hear that. And everybody's like, where are you going? I'm like, the alarm's about to go off. And then all of a sudden they're going off. And they're like, how the fuck do you hear that? <laughs> it's a superpower. It's a superpower. <laughs> I have really sensitive ears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Senses are basically like superpowers for everybody. Mm-hmm. Like whether it's like seeking or not, like, oh, we can taste this. Like that's so cool. Yeah. Or like any of that stuff. So when you can feel it extra – Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but feeling something extra is like a superpower. <laughs> now, can with the feeling something extra, can SBD also be not feeling something extra? Like your sense of smell being like completely diminished. Oh, so yeah. if you can only smell something, you're like, oh, that's either like a, that's just a really strong <laughs> smell because I can only smell that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's like with my pain, like I don't feel pain unless it's like really bad. Yeah. So I do know people who have, like, no sense of smell because of it or because your eyes are part of your sense. So, like, when you need glasses, that's a sensory issue. Yeah. And, like, if you have a hearing aid, that's a sensory issue. And it's more than that. It's, like, also, in addition, there's, like, something wrong, but it's a problem with your sense. Yeah. Interesting. Because, again, I think, like, a lot of people think of sensory issue as something just being overwhelming to, like, the touch or, you know, Mm -hmm. hearing it. But the lack, the underwhelmingness, I think, also, especially when it's, like, a a sense of taste or smell, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily consider that. And that's the underwhelming, like, if you have underwhelming senses is typically where the sensory-seeking behaviors come out. Mm. So kids who don't feel a lot of, like, pressure in their bodies and, like, they're the ones who, like, go and run and fall. Or, like me, like, sometimes I do need, like, you can put music on and I can't hear it until you put it all the way up and then I like it. Mm-hmm. So it goes, for me, it goes both ways. But like you were saying, most people think of sensory avoidant SPD rather than sensory seeking SPD. Yeah. I'm learning so much and I'm checking off. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I have a sensory processing disorder. <laughs> oh, so many people I've talked to after, like, they've talked to me about my sensory processing disorder. They go online and, like, take online exams and, like, I should definitely talk to my doctor. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Cause I, I, I mean, I've always had, like, my suspicions, especially after talking to mm-hmm. my childhood friend and, like, hearing how she tell, talks about it. Cause, like, her biggest one is her hearing and mm-hmm. my biggest one is my hearing as well. Um, but then I also cannot really smell anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's another box to check off. Yeah. Well, that's why I was asking you because I can't really smell anything. And if I can smell it, it's either, it's just a really strong smell, pleasant or not. It's mm-hmm. just, it's really strong. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, it's it's like there. real weird. I can't, unless it's like um, a memory smell or like something gets like stuck in my nose kind of. But, like, oh, other yeah. than that, I, like, I have a really hard time smelling things. Yeah. Um, so you talked a little bit about your um, eating disorder. So how did you end up um, getting diagnosed because of its overlap with your sensory processing disorder? I didn't know I had an 
I didn't know that my sensory processing disorder was any part of an eating disorder until I was already in eating disorder treatment for another eating disorder. So my therapist sent me to an eating disorder program because like when I would like we would just talk and like the way I was talking, she's like, I can't treat you until you go to an eating disorder program. And I was like, okay. And I didn't go to an eating disorder program for a while because I was like, I don't have an eating disorder. She was just being her. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. And I eventually went to an eating disorder program and she ended up transferring to that program. So by the time I got there, I got to see her again, Mm -hmm. which was pretty interesting. But while I was there, I learned about ARFID. It was like, oh, this explains a lot of my behaviors as a kid and now. So while I was in treatment for the atypical anorexia, they were also working on my ARFID and my need to like separate foods and put different, not even by like the type of food, but by the texture. So like the lumpier mashed potatoes went on the one side of the plate than the creamier mashed potatoes. So we started treating both of those together while I was already diagnosed with the anorexia. So what is atypical anorexia? Atypical anorexia is anorexia, the exact same thing as anorexia, but you're not underweight. Mm -hmm. Because according to the DSM, you have to be a certain, your your BMI has to be a certain percentage. But anorexia can really affect anybody. You Mm -hmm. have the same, like the outcome can be the same. You can be just as sick and not be underweight. So atypical anorexia is the exact same thing for somebody with an average to higher BMI. Mm -hmm. And so what were some of the things that you and your therapist were talking about that made her suggest to you to go do a program? (laughs) Um, We were just talking about like my need to feel like I don't deserve to take up space. And we were talking about it emotionally at first. And then I don't know like how it kind of led to being like, oh, I only eat this. And she's like, you only eat that? And I'm like, yeah, I only eat like this a day. And she, like, started watching as what I ate and kind of noticed that it was, like, going down. So she was like, okay, this isn't – like, you're not emotionally able to be treated until your physical needs are treated because Maslow's hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Food is right on the bottom. Maslow doesn't know shit. (laughs) Facts. (laughs) Um, Why don't you explain what anorexia is? So anorexia is – I'm trying to think of a very generalized – Thing without having to like put atypical and reg- and typical anorexia in separate bubbles, but it's where you're not properly feeding your body. So f- it's more about the f- f- calories in versus calories out is a big anorexia type thing. So you're thinking about what you're eating a lot. So you start cutting certain foods. Um, people have fear foods, which are like foods that they will not eat. And it's just the amount of calories you take in is not sustainable to what you're doing mm-hmm. is basically what anorexia is. Um, people like to separate anorexia and bulimia as mm-hmm. bulimia not like bulimia being also the purging, but you can have anorexia and purge without being bulimic because bulimic is the um, is binging and purging, right. while anorexia is restricting. And you can have restrictive type, which is just restricting, or you can have restrictive with the purging behaviors. And right. then when we talked to Maven, she talked about hypergymnasia, which is a type of Purge. anorexia and a type of purging. So it goes, again, it's like concentrating on that, the calories out part. Yeah. Yeah, because purging is not just uh, what people typically think of purging. Right. There's 
tons of different ways to purge calories from your body. So what did your um, eating disorder treatment look like then? So you went to a program. I went to a partial hospitalization program and then to an intensive outpatient program. So the partial hospitalization program was 12 o'clock noon to 7 o'clock p.m., six days a week, um, Mondays to Saturdays. And I would get there at noon. We'd eat lunch. We'd have two therapy groups. We'd eat snack, have two therapy groups, then eat dinner. And then we were allowed to go home after, like, they made us wait a certain amount of time and just chat for a little bit before we were allowed to leave. And then the IOP, which is the intensive outpatient program, you had an option of doing the morning or the second half of the day. So you would either come in at noon to 3 and do lunch, two therapy groups, and leave, or you'd come in for the evening session, which is you'd come in, have two therapy groups, then dinner, then leave. So you had, like, the choice of that. And our meals were, like, super um, – I don't know the word to use to describe how our meals went. But we were all at a table together, so all the patients. And we had two therapists or a therapist and a dietitian or diet tech at the table with us at all times. Everybody had a separate meal plan, which was, like, characterized to your needs – the amount of starches you needed to eat, the amount of fats, proteins, vegetables, everything was very specific. Um, and for me, in addition to that, I had certain like colors I had to eat and certain textures I had to eat like once a day. So like Mondays, for example, I had to eat some type, any type of food within the day that had like red in it. Because like my mom, I only like to eat beige foods. <laughs> Which definitely comes from my mom because she also has sensory processing disorder, which has moved into food type related things. So Tuesdays I would eat like an orange food or something like that. And I don't remember the exact thing because it changed throughout like weeks. But um, so we would do all of our meals together. We'd be washed with our meals. They would like we only had 30 minutes to eat our lunch and our dinner and 15 minutes to eat our snacks. <laughs> and if we didn't finish, we had to do a... Um, uh, and sure shake, which is the worst. <laughs> Boost is so much better because it actually has flavor. But we weren't even allowed to do that because it was more of like you had to sit and think about why you couldn't finish your meals. So how has that help, has that helped you at all in like diversifying the types of foods that you eat now? Oh, yeah. So our lunches every day, we all ate the same thing. For dinner, we all brought our own dinners, but lunch, we eat the same thing. So I had to try new foods. They made me do it or else I had to sit with a shake. And, like, it was really uncomfortable. And if it was a meal that I was really uncomfortable with, they would let me, like, instead of this certain type of rice, they'll let me do, like, white rice that I'm comfortable with. But I was only allowed to do that for, like, a specific percentage of the meal. So I learned to eat different things. And now I can eat dressing on my salads. <laughs> and now I can eat... Um, like wraps because I didn't like the texture of all the foods like being together mm -hmm. like sandwiches and wraps like unless it was like peanut butter no even jelly just peanut butter on bread is all I could do texture wise so I've learned to like it's like just training my body to have to do with it do, deal with it taught me to like like it just mm -hmm. being more open recently in general because even on Facebook through like people I went to middle school with and I went to public middle school, and it was the worst three years of my life. But even those people are starting to open up more about this kind of stuff. So I think it's just being accepted, which is really yeah. cool. 
I think, but I think like certain communities, like roller derby kind of gives you that outlet of talk about it. Like we're basically the island of misfit toys. (laughs) Like, you know, you have people who are ex drug addicts, you know, playing alongside people who are super successful and were never addicted to drugs in their life, you know? Yeah. And I think everybody has something and roller derby lets you kind of, you know, own your something, but also hit people. And I think that's why we like talk like I think that's one of the reasons why we're so open about talking about it is because our something is going to at some point impede our ability to play in some shape or form. And you just kind of have to be open about it because you're the teamwork that you have to have. You rely a lot on nonverbal communication. Yeah. The first people I actually opened up to about my eating disorder was my team because I had to be like. Skating is hard for me right now because I'm not eating. <laughs> because I don't have energy. <laughs> yeah. I don't calories have energy, energy and I don't eating. do that. <laughs> I don't do calories right now. <laughs> so I don't have energy right now. I'm just going to go lay in bed. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, like it does affect skating. And even my sensory, I have to be like, you have to tell the refs I might not hear them. Or yeah. I might have to sit extra jams if I'm having like a lot of sensory issues and I can't be hit at that moment. But, like, typically I love to be hit. So, like, it's, like, a nice, like, I am able to talk about that. I used to block and then they put me in jamming. And I'm, like, at first I was, like, I hate jamming. Once I transferred the GSR and they made me jam, I was, like, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. But now I'm, like, I get hit all the time. This is kind of great. I get to fall down. I don't do that when I block. <laughs> God is, like, weirdo. Okay. I'm, like, cardio. No, thank you. <sighs> Yeah. See, my junior league, they made us do like so many laps all the time. They made us do endless jams. So we weren't allowed to call the jams and they made us do two minute jams every other week, every jam. That's so what I, you should be doing. And I skated you, SARS. So like I mm, learned, yeah. like, I was like, oh, cardio. I got this. I skated made at first. So now I'm just like, what do you mean that we don't go this fast? Even watching Maid sometimes, I'm like, that's slow. You're like, what yeah, yeah, because you start your sprinting. Everybody, Everybody's sprinting and the jammers are dying. Yes. You <laughs> stars is basically the wall is a pace line. Pace lines, yeah. Just go. Just skate. Yeah. So the thing is, I don't like being the jammer because like if I can't get around, then I just get tired and like bored. Because you're a cat. Because I'm a cat. And <laughs> I just get bored. And so then I'm like, I don't want to keep doing this. It's hard. That's my problem with jamming. That and like my anxiety. I'm like, I'm doing this wrong. Everybody's looking at me. Mm-hmm. So then I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I can give up. Because if I'm giving up, nobody's realizing that I'm just like not able to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's always been like a hard. That's why I hated jamming for years. I was always a pivot because usually I'm fast. So usually by the time I get to the pack, they'll call it off. Yeah. So I don't actually have to get through the pack. And then somebody was like saw me pivoting a lot and like getting a lot of star passes with this my old team. So when I transferred to GSR, they were like, Kirsten's a jammer. And I was like, No, Betty is not a jammer, thanks. <laughs> and they made me jam. And, and like now, now that I'm doing jammer. it all the time, I'm like, okay, this isn't as bad. I don't like it, but I don't hate it because I am getting hit and falling down, which is kind of fun. <laughs> You get the stim while you do it, so yeah. it's okay. And I have a good time really skating, so it's okay. Anytime I want skates, I have a good time. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. I hope you guys learned a lot about sensory processing disorder. I know the two of us did. Um, my brain is sort of overflowing with different things that could possibly be wrong with me. Um, 
That's called hypochondria. <laughs> it's called hypochondria. Um, if you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Frau Pal Podcast. If you want to send us love letters or maybe ideas about what you think we should talk about or maybe interviewee contact information, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email at fraupalpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, don't be a dick. dick.